Hello and welcome to Loving Legacy. This is episode 28. I'm Richard Bowne, your host, and this time I'm talking about emergent architectures and beating the monolith. It's been a while since I recorded myself just talking about things, and to tell the truth, I've been thinking long and hard about this next step. I've been working on a course which will teach technical leaders why all of their effort to gain clarity and control of software development and delivery is essentially wasted unless some effort is spent to acknowledge how software gets built outside of all the frameworks and techniques that we are bombarded with. This means consuming a lot of those frameworks, ideas and techniques myself, and then putting some words together to form a common understanding of what we're trying to achieve. Ironically, for some, you might recognize this as a fundamental principle of domain-driven design, defining a domain language and then modeling a solution using that language. Okay, so let's dive in. In Sam Newman's Building Microservices Second Edition, it's all about building distributed systems. Pretty much any system is a distributed system right now, goes the argument. So should we all be setting out explicitly to build microservices-based architectures? Many seem to think so, and have invested heavily both in the technology platforms to support this, as well as the skills and learnings that allow successful implementation. However, is this a one-size-fits-all approach? Emergent architecture is a smart way to say we built something and once we had a plan, but now we have to change it. This is therefore the definition of pretty much any software ever. A monolith can appear. It's just a block of code and we will find that difficult to break down any further, usually due to design decisions made before or during its assembly. A monolith could even appear nominally in a microservice, although that would probably mean that it wasn't a microservice anymore. Documentation is of use in order for software archaeologists to discover the business motivations for why things were built that way in the first place. They're a great starting point to understand how your software developed to the point it is now. The history of software development is littered with the bones of great technological frameworks and ideas that have briefly set the world alight, only to disappear agonisingly slowly, as the zealots of their ideology continue to cling on to the investment they have made. This is the very definition of the sunk cost fallacy. Those that have invested so much financially, emotionally and reputationally that they must double down on that approach until it's either universally accepted or until it's dead in the water. This approach I call the abyss of obsession and it's a social construct. Having been there myself with ideas, designs and architectures, I feel I must talk them through with peers until we reach either an understanding that could work or a feeling that it couldn't. Any ideas that persist after this peer group roundhousing will eventually start to take seed in our minds. This will be our famous thing, we think, and we get ahead of ourselves in believing that we've solved the world's software problems. If you're not familiar with that feeling yet, then I think you probably need to find a better class of software developers to hang around with, and just dream a little bit bigger. Usually this kind of discussion happens in the pub after a few ales, but it's important to dream big. We're all capable of it, and software is the perfect scaffolding for these dreams. Okay, so saying we implement something using this technique, and it works, then we start to enter this abyss of obsession, and we're most likely not to return for a while. We are a submarine disappearing to the Marianas Trench of ambition. This applies as much to architecture frameworks as it does process frameworks like Agile, as it does technologies. We have a hammer and everything looks like a nail. Okay, so taking obsession around frameworks, technologies and processes as red, 
we should be careful when accepting new ideas and new words and concepts into our vocabulary. The monolith doesn't actually exist, as in as much a microservice doesn't actually exist. These are abstract ideas, or we can build our imperfect models of the world and attempt to implement them and learn as we go. What we end up with in software design, development and delivery is a complex system. According to Dave Snowden's Kenevan framework, a complex system is the unknown unknowns. Cause and effect can only be deduced in retrospect. There are no right answers. Instructive patterns can emerge if the leader conducts experiments that are safe to fail. Kenevan calls this process probe, sense, respond. If you've ever tried to reverse engineer a system, then you will know that a complex system is exactly that. Often intractable, they are the result of forgotten rules. One can design a system as well as you like, but if you've forgotten a crucial rule until later in the process, then often the amount of work to completely redesign the system to accommodate the fundamental thing you've forgotten is too costly. I've tried to graph this effect, and I will link an article which shares these graphs. We map cost of implementation versus cost of design, and we call design anything in this case that isn't coding, testing, deploying, or supporting the code directly via incidents, etc. The cost of design, therefore, could encompass anything that is seen as thinking about the system. Refinement, sessions about architecture, workshops, presenting facts or findings, learning new techniques, anything which falls into the category of talking about rather than doing. What you see from typical software projects is that either zero, sum, or significant upfront planning or design is made. If no upfront planning is made, then the project starts amidst a flurry of activity, coding, design, experiments, trial and error. Depending on the ambition of the project, this might be the right way to go. No upfront cost means jumping in, iterating quickly, and learning as it moves forward. Some design means that decisions perhaps around technology, platforms, architecture have been made, and we perhaps know an outline of our system design before we start coding. Significant design means mapping out exactly how our system is going to look and proceeding on that basis. This means that building is optimised, but we might end up building the wrong thing. For any approach, the only time we can validate our assumptions is when we get our system in front of the people it's supposed to be serving. When we receive that initial feedback, we can iterate our design and, dependent on how flexible our initial architecture is, this will come with a variable cost. I call this cost to first gotcha, the moment where we think, oh no, we forgot this fundamental thing. And often software systems lurch from gotcha to gotcha until perhaps they either fulfill their initial brief or requirements and become useful to the customer, or they fail. But no system is ever completely free of gotchas, because users can always think of things that we can't as system designers or builders. And software being software, being flexible, and software engineers also being prone to fall into the abyss of obsession, no change is too great for our system. No matter what approach we take initially, we will always be faced with a dilemma. Should we extend this legacy system to include new functionality, or should we just write a new system? Therefore, legacy is a social trap even more than it is a technological trap. This is the very basis of emergent architecture, and why we'll never actually beat the monolith. It's not something to be beaten. It's something to be used when appropriate, it's something to be used as any other tool in your toolkit. Often as programmers, we don't set out with anything in mind other than a purpose for our work. The rest of the discussion, the design, architecture, technologies, and the things that we use to build our ideas upon 
are often only abstract concepts, which we use to share our ideas. Once they are made flesh in whatever tech we choose, they inevitably change. Do not let our ideas become code. This is why I have a somewhat ambivalent attitude to diagramming tools and ways to turn ideas into code. Things like the C4 framework are good at a high level, but these are merely conceptual boxes of things. Any detailed design driven from flittering ideas are usually not proven to be helpful. We will at some point have to compromise on these ideas, and usually at that point we will work too hard to modify our original design to accommodate changes. Then perhaps it's not even helpful. The same happens when we consider any design paradigm purely idiomatically. If you read the blue book by Eric Evans on domain-driven design, you'll find the premise of it is 1. For most software projects, the primary focus should be on the domain and the domain logic. 2. Complex domain designs should be based on a model. For me, there is nothing to argue with here. Understand what you're trying to achieve and then deliver a model of it. Also, talk in the same language as the users. But it's surprising how often we are drawn to focus on techniques or sub-techniques rather than the bigger picture. That's understandable because to form thoughts like this takes a lot of hard work and time, and it's only conceptual work. It's not useful day to day for an engineer or engineering leader even. Practical techniques are the things that we fall back on and utilize. Remembering to use them and remembering why we're using them is good to always keep in mind. Emergent architecture means that things change. We can be resilient to change, not just with how we build our applications physically, but also by expecting things to need to change to be aware that circumstances outside our control may intercede to make us have to change. One of the conclusions we must be able to draw now from the Elon Musk evisceration of engineering at Twitter is that the system was certainly well enough engineered to survive significant tampering. It's still running, despite a few blips and outages. Things are changing. The architecture is adapting and growing. The rest is supposition, but all we can do is base an understanding on what we feel and experience as customers. Whatever we choose as a starting point, no, some, or lots of design, our decisions are always going to be called into question. But new people challenging our ideas of technology, fitness for purpose, and business direction are always going to appear. Therefore, our starting point doesn't really matter, and by extension, where we are now with our systems doesn't really matter. This is why a legacy system is really every system we ever build. If we truly value it, and we want it to be better for our customers, then we must treat every system in whatever state, age or technology with the same reverence. It's only dependent upon relevance in the market and relevance to the customers. I propose a framework of the best practices that allow us to stay grounded to our customers' needs as closely as possible, while reusing all the terms that any good engineering organisation are already familiar with. I believe that, just like a good domain model, we already have enough, or perhaps too many, words to describe the patterns that we see in enterprise systems and architecture. What is missing is a good Rosetta Stone that enables us to speak the same language across ideas. If we can reuse rather than reinvent terms and agree on a language, then perhaps we edge closer to a common understanding of what it means to build great software. This is where novels like The Phoenix Project or The Unicorn Project are so strong. They place these facts in a story as techniques to try and help us understand where we want to go. And this is something that we can all do. Storytelling with practical examples from your business, working out how the stories of your systems need to change in order for you to deliver the right value to your customer at the right time. Fundamentally, this is all we can hope to achieve from software engineering. Engineering anything is about building something for a customer, something that a customer will pay money for or utilize. 
therefore we define software engineering as building the right software for a customer. Emergent architecture is used for understanding and extending complex systems, which have arrived at their state through an unknown path. Try to learn how you got where you are now through analysis, reading, talking to engineers and customers, finding out the history. Only then will you be able to plot a path to where you need to be next. Your frameworks, technology choices, etc. either constrain or enable this path and should also inform you of your future. I hope I've given you something to think about in this episode. I'll be covering more around this in the future, so if you enjoyed this, then please like and subscribe to the podcast. Um, feel free to share it with your friends and colleagues, and also feel free to reach out to me if there's anything you'd like to talk about legacy systems, engineering, or the future of emergent architecture. Until next time, this is Richard Bown wishing you goodbye and good luck.